Hello, I'm Mike Wood. I'm Justin DeClue. And you're listening to the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast. Where we talk about very fine comic books. Yeah. And it's still September, but it's getting spooky in here. This is apparently something the internet calls Spooktober. Shocktober. Is that? Okay. <laughs> That's what we call it on the Important Cinema Club. Let's call it Spooktober on here. That's a good reference to Spookies like from word, last week. I like the word spooky a lot, but then I'm like, eh, does it have some bad implications oh, as God, a it might. racial term as well? Yeah. Okay. Maybe let's never <laughs> Never say the word spooky again. Or has it evolved past that? I don't know. Well, now because, it's spoopy. Spoopy. Have you seen this? Oh, but that's like, hey, cheeseburger kind of stuff, well, right? No, it was like a misspelled thing at Dollarama, the skeleton side. Sign that says spoopy. spoopy and everybody calls it spoopy over and eh, yeah, the same I rule because like I think of Sam Raimi also saying like a spooka blast etc etc yeah. so this week we're talking about Dylan Dog a very popular character in Italy kind of France and not really anywhere else especially not North America or English-speaking territories. Yeah, I, I wonder if Justin was shocked when uh, you said, uh, let's do Dylan Dog, and you sent me a link, and I was like, I love Dylan Dog. I wasn't that shocked yeah, that know. you were aware of what it is. You're like, Brandon Ruth, I followed every one of his big screen <laughs> theatrical efforts. So we'll be talking about that right after we talk about what we've been reading. What have you been reading, Mike? Well, I finished reading something that I mentioned starting to you uh, a couple it, weeks ago. Wait a minute. So this is a doubling back on a, what you've been reading already? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, I just mentioned off the cuff when we were hanging out one day. Uh, I finished reading Maniac of New York mm. by Elliot K- Kalen. K- Kalen. Yeah. Of a Flophouse uh, fame. Amazing writer of all, all sorts of stuff. He did that great Spidey run, too. He and, did the famous uh, panel with uh, the, I don't remember what Sauron, the, the yeah. dinosaur man. Yeah, where yeah. he's like, uh, you could cure cancer with that. I don't want to. I just want to turn people into dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I love the premise. And I found out about this book through uh, Patton Oswalt's podcast. Uh, he has a podcast? Maybe it wasn't a podcast. Maybe it was a guest on something appears, else. Yeah. yeah. And the basic premise is it's like Jason takes Manhattan if Jason really did and didn't leave. Yeah. For decades. For decades. Yeah. And and that it's a uh, metaphor, if you will. Oh, I think it did it come out during COVID era or after? I think before, then during, and it's still yeah. sort of slowly ongoing. Where the idea is like Jason came to Manhattan, he is unbeatable, mm-hmm. and people have just kind of learned to live with it. In a kind of like funny way, like just bad weather. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, he murdered a few people. It's not enough to be like, oh my God, this is horrifying that he's killing this many people. Mm-hmm. And he'll come and go as well. Yeah. So, and they've just, you know, we can't stop him. What are we going to do? Yeah. Like people, I think in the first issue are kind of mocking this new person who's come to town. Like, oh, ha, ha, you're scared of Maniac Harry, which is the char- the Jason character's name. And um, it's such an interesting premise. And something about it just didn't quite click with me. And... I, I love Jason. Jason's yeah. my favorite Wait, of so all this the is your like, recommendation or is it I, the... I'm recommending it, but in, a, in like with like a cautionary caveat in that I didn't expect it to be as like governmentally procedural as it would. I found it had some pacing issues it, is it, what I, I will say. I and would agree. I bought every one of those issues because I love Alien yeah. and the Flophouse. Yeah, very yeah. funny. Very funny guy. I'm curious to know what the other series are like, which I didn't check out. So I've read up to where it is currently. I bought the single issues yeah. in the back issue. So like, I think they're in the third series, right? Yeah. So like there's Don't Call It a Comeback. And I don't remember what the other one is called. Uh, the first series is just called Maniac of New York. And it was collected in trade as The Death Train. Uh, Maniac of New York, colon, the death train. Uh, I haven't bought the trade paperback. That's how loyal of an Elliot Kaler oh, yeah. follower that cool. I am. Yeah, I lo- uh, and uh, the second series is called The Bronx is Burning. Right, and The Bronx is Burning. The and then the third other one is series, Don't Call It a Comeback. Yeah, Don't Call It a Comeback. There's two issues out so far. Okay. 
And so I guess similar image, uh, people at Aftershock can just work on things whenever they want. And the onus is on them to decide, like, when is this coming out? Because it's probably financially responsible on them as well. Yeah. Any money doing this. So I absolutely love the art of the series. Uh, someone named Andrea Muti and incredible art that has this, like, kind of, like, various shades of gray that are like still dynamic without being like depressing or overbearing like he's trying to do like a new york gray but in so many wild tones of things that that adds to like whenever the blood stands out or the red on like jason's mask like mm -hmm. there's some weird like sort of markings on it which yeah. come up as Very a plot point later looking. on too so i i love the basic idea of like let's let's normalize uh you know 80 slasher monster attacks to the point where he's been around for decades. He's killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and it's just he's just become a force it's of like nature. Like car accidents. Yeah, so exactly. What do we do about car accidents? We yeah. just have to accept it. And we I go think on. that even comes up as a point. It's like, oh, you know, smoking in this and city alone like, kills more than basically him. police officers who are like kind of the joke squad that are still dealing with um, this killer. And in the first issue, this is when I say that, like I had pro problems with kind of like um, pacing. Is that like he gets on a subway? You're on that subway until the end of that first volume. That's all that's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I was hoping maybe of a like kind of an exploration of the concept or like what does it mean in a broader sense. You don't really get there. You just kind of get this one incident split over however many issues the first volume is. Yeah, and I, I'm along for the ride, but I kind of wanted things to move faster mm -hmm. because there's a plot point that comes up where he's on a, in the first volume, he's on a subway and he's walking along and he's just like murdering every single person on the subway in like very classic Jason fashion. He's only occasionally saying her, her and he has yeah. a machete. And uh, there's one plot beat where as the subway announcer announces, or the automated voice at least says like approaching something, something street, he pauses for a bit and one character sees him do that and doesn't know, like, is this a clue? Like, why is he pausing there? Well, yeah, because he'll only attack certain areas, right? Yeah. And he won't go into other areas. Exactly. And so I, that, like, that's good. Yeah. Stuff. The mystery. Yes. I love that. The mystery element of that really intrigued me. And, and that museum element of like why he won't stop at that or why he won't move when he's the train's mm -hmm. passing that like that doesn't pop up until like volume three and i kind of i think it spent a little too much time and for my taste with like the two detectives who are on mm -hmm. like the maniac harry task force even though like i don't know how you'd spend more time with maniac harry himself i just wanted more of the you, character you, of new york yes i understand what you mean yeah. is that you wanted more of a kind of like almost altman-esque like oh we're following these people and yes. then like you don't know if they're gonna live or die absolutely that tension of like you kind of know who's yeah. going to live or die in the comic because of the structure that it has. And there are little bits like that. It'll yeah. introduce a character and it's narrating their, their day. narration and stuff like that. And you that. think, this yeah. is going to be important. Oh, nope. Nope, they're dead. Yeah. And so I love that. And actually, great comparison to Altman there. Mm -hmm. I think that direction would have been a really, really interesting way to go. And I still, I love the book. Mm -hmm. uh, I have some pacing issues with it. I am really eager to continue this third I volume. I what it would read like, because I was reading issue to issue. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, we're not really getting anywhere here. Does it read better as like a full volume where you can just whoosh, go through all of it? It did for me because okay. uh, I plowed through, yeah, I bought the single issues at Beguiling, plowed through all of them in a quick sitting. Uh, I should also add as a point of comparison, I have read every single friday the 13th official branded comic Why? that has ever ever come They're out so bad they are awful i didn't know every you, single one is I awful i didn't know you had a weird friday the 13th obsession i like love that. jason's my favorite character from that era <laughs> uh, favorite of, character in fiction yes. right uh if jason and the black hole crossed over i mean like what about stand back. uh but jason um versus freddie versus ash do you have any uh fondness for that one uh, I it's read fine. that. Yeah, it's fine. Again, like that was weird. That was a weird one because that was adapted from the script yes. for the aborted sequel film that never happened. Uh, you know what's weird about those Army of Darkness uh, comics? Yeah, is that, and it's actually a problem I have with the new movies as well. 
where they're so reticent of creating their own iconography mm. or moments that they just recycle the stuff from the movies. Oh, that's a shame. And it's like, no, just do your own stuff and yeah. make that interesting. Like, the reason we like the Evil Dead movies is because each one is so drastically different than mm -hmm. the one that has come before. But if you just have him saying, like, groovy or variations on his lines, like, that's not fun like do something else yeah bruce campbell pined in on that once very very briefly online where there i i can't remember who he said because i've never read any of the uh, army darkness or evil dead comics but there's one particular army writer where he says meets, like uh, herbert west or something yeah well, i think they were a little bit angry about it because like they don't own the license to it like they have no creative control over those comics yeah and so there's one writer that bruce campbell said i, I like this guy's work these to me are the only official ash comics can't remember who it is mm -hmm. on the top of my head but maniac of new york i do love it i want to love it more but yeah. relative to all the garbage friday the 13th adaptations that have come up before this is the best jason Voorhees comic i've ever read what's a good slasher comic that's a good question like what are the good slasher comics out there uh is it difficult i like ed brubaker's uh like uh, kill or be killed even though it's kind of a slasher from the it's point more of like a vigilante kind yeah, of thing yeah yeah but like the supernatural element yeah. turns it into like a bit more of like mm -hmm. a, a slasher thing but from the slasher's perspective and making him a sympathetic character well i have something shocking to recommend as well what it, have you been reading it is blackwood which is a new series by uh written by evan dorkin and illustrated by veronica fish andy fish and greg mckenna now if you know the name evan dorkin maybe you grew up in the 90s he did a lot of writing on space ghost mm -hmm. some batman the animated series episodes as yeah well probably superman and justice league if he's hey, in that also circle. those yeah and uh he also illustrated uh, is it even like like milk and cheese? Is oh that yeah, like a pop culture well known thing. Yeah, milk and cheese is always in prints, as okay. far as I know. There and have been Dork reprints, comics, Dork which is comics, kind of like incredible mythology comics. And him and his partner do an incredible comic called Beasts of Burden, mm -hmm. which is like about a bunch of uh, dogs and a cat uh, solving like supernatural mysteries. And so Blackwood is one of the things that he's written recently. Oh, he also did a very uh, great Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, a bo it started as a bogus journey adaptation then spun off into its own running series I so have the like mini trade of that I wish it was in color but it's like a small black and white thing IDW did like a, a hardcover version oh did it. they yeah that you can oh, find wow. it floating around okay so uh, Blackwood is and when I heard the premise I was like uh oh where it's kind of like kids go to school it's mysterious or spooky Lovecraft things going on. I think it's execution is really fun though. It actually mm -hmm. takes place in like a compressed time period. Cause I think there's only two like arcs or series that have been published and they've only been about five issues each. So they're very compressed. They don't take place over a long period of time beautifully illustrated by uh veronica fish did like a bunch of archie comics when like oh. mark wade was writing them and stuff like that oh wow i read some of those yeah because fiona staples did the first three issues of mark wade's yeah. archies and then i guess veronica I fish took did. over i know the after. back said like uh archie okay. comics and illustrated slam an amazing roller derby series from boom oh cool i had no idea that this i will have to check it out so these uh, were published by an odd publisher for this kind of stuff dark horse Mm -hmm. which uh you're like huh dark horse this has image all over it and because it's a dark horse comic it's probably a little bit hard to get your hands on i think they did trade paperbacks but i actually have the library edition which was put out uh and yeah it looks beautiful it's like oversized really fun to read great colors perfect yeah. for october reading this is a gorgeous book the coloring's great the paper stock is great i love these dark horse library editions and i love that dark horse are willing to like put effort into like different formats of trade paperbacks i wonder like this, this does have a little bit of a sense of like 
we're writing this as a kind of pitch for a TV series, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Like, oh, college age students that uh, run into supernatural mysteries kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Evan Dorkin doesn't seem to draw that much anymore, which is kind of a bummer because uh, I love his art. He basically has like the most claustrophobic, like uh, just so much packed in a frame that you can art style mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, it's great. And while he doesn't illustrate this, it definitely has his voice in it. Did you ever read the Elginville, like, uh, what is it called? Like comic El- Eltonville book? Eltonville mystery, cl- Eltonville hunting club. Oh, no, God, it's something it like that. Basically it's like the most toxic, horrible nerds you have ever met. I did read some of those and, uh, they had a pilot TV series. Did they? Yeah, they did. Oh, it wow. just never got picked up. Unfortunately. Oh my God. Evan Dorkin's first published work was in the letters page of Rom Space Night number 37. Oh, he probably just sent in an illustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But yeah, we should do an Evan Dorkin thing down the line because I really like his stuff. (laughs) Moving on to Dylan Dog. Woo! (laughs) That's more of a wolf, right, than a dog? Dogs howl too. I mean, Dylan Dog for me would be like, eh, I'm, a, I'm a dog. I'm going to steal people's songs and call them my own. Whoa, you're really uh, roasting Bob Dylan uh, over here. <laughs> no, it's Dylan- about time someone did. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to critique his Christmas album now. <laughs> Uh, good thing Wilson doesn't like comic books. He will not be listening to this <laughs> and his love for uh, Bob Dylan. I do too. So but. I uh, first came to attention of Dylan Dog because I loved the movie Cemetery Man directed by Mikel Suave, mm-hmm. a horror film from the 90s that uh, starred Rupert Everett and was basically about him as a groundskeeper at a cemetery where the dead come back to life after five days mm. and it's his job to just shoot them with a magnum in the head so then they go back to their grave. Yeah. And it's really weird, very Terry Gilliam-ish. Will you be surprised to learn that the director, Mikel Suave, was not just uh, the second unit director on films uh for filmmakers like Lombardo Bava or Dario Argento but that he also was second unit director on The Adventures of Baron Munchausen and The Brothers uh Grimm I never two knew Terry that. Gilliam films because yeah. his style is like very reminiscent of them and so like I love this movie so much and I did like research of like what is this like who yeah. wrote this and basically I learned that it was based on the work of an author named there'll be a lot of flipping pages in this episode because this is all information that does not come that easy to <laughs> us uh, t- uh, Tiziano Scalvi now uh, Sclavi S-C-L-A-V-I now when people would talk about this they said it was based on a novel Cemetery Man and it is but it's also based on like it uh, the characters first appeared in a comic strip part of like an annual or a special for Dylan Dog and the weird thing about the characters are they're basically like a weird Elseworlds version of Dylan Dog where Dylan Dog is a John Constantine style supernatural detective that looks like Rupert Everett. Mm-hmm. And the artists have been very uh, upfront that they based him on Rupert Everett from a movie <laughs> they had recently seen. So it's funny that the extension would be that Rupert Everett would then be in something based on the author of Dylan Dog. And also has the same iconography. Dylan Dog carries a big magnum, just like uh, Cemetery Man of Della Morte Della Morte, yeah. as the Italian title actually is. Uh, he also like shoots him in the head. He has like a comedic sidekick as well. <laughs> so it's a weird kind of like bizarro introduction into the world of Dylan Dog. Yeah, very circular reference-wise yeah. there. That film is amazing. I had never heard of it 
it till the Royal played it, uh, maybe uh, I don't know, a couple years before pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching and thinking like, this feels like this is a Euro comic. And I never researched it further or looked into that. <laughs> Dylan yeah. Dog, I once, I remember buying it at a comic book shop in the ugliest looking VHS transfer. It looked like digital video. And my stepmom came in and watched the last half hour of it. When it ended, she went, huh, hope you didn't pay too much for that. Oh, the Brandon Ruth movie? <laughs> what? You're no, no, no. The uh, Del Morte Del Amor. Oh, Cemetery yeah. Man. And okay. I was like, no, this movie's great. I love it. Now, we'll get to the Brandon Ruth movie a little bit later down the line. So as we start talking about this, we need to be very clear that we are complete novices when it comes to the subject matter. For the simple reason is, it is not very accessible in English. And it's been running forever ever yeah so it started uh in the mid 80s and uh i this gave me an opportunity to kind of like go into the history of italian comics and what i discovered was not a lot of information about the history of italian comics. i was sure i could find like a youtube video that'd mm-hmm. be like oh this is how like it started this is why the way that it is it's called like fumetti hmm. have you ever heard that yeah, term yeah, before? Yeah. and the way that like uh italian comics are often published is that like they it kind of evolved from they were like, you know, American publishers, the popular licensed characters, as we talked about last episode, like mm-hmm. uh, Mickey Mouse, who I discovered has a very funny name, Topolino, in uh, it, Italian. They just That's the name for Mickey Mouse. And that I just also <laughs> found that in the uh, 40s during World War II, the comics continued, but they got rid of him and just replaced him by some like ugly looking kids. So oh, wow. Like, oh, Topolino comics, but... Uh, no mouse character. Like anymore. they'd reprint ones and remove Mickey. No, or? they just did new stories. Which was just some new dude okay. that is not Mickey Mouse. He came back though. Oh wow! After yeah. World War II ended, and so that kind of like a big popular swing happened in the '60s with Diabolique, which you may be familiar with. I love that character in movie. Mario Bava yeah. uh, film Diabolique, where he's basically a villain. That's mm-hmm. his gimmick, and he's like a bad dude, but you like following him because you know he's always like one step ahead of the yeah. you know good guys. And if stuff you've like seen that. the. Beastie Boys music video for Body Movin'. Mm. That music video was a direct homage to the film Danger Diabolique. And uh, from there, that kind of evolved into a bunch of different stuff. Like uh, Diabolique had his own kind of like copycats, like Satanique and Criminal, <laughs> which has wild Turkish films. If you want to check out, there's like Diabolique ripoff oh, Turkish man, films. Oh man, I'd love to. That are made for like pennies on the dollar <laughs> and are very gross because they kept like pushing violence and kind mm. of sex as far as it could go in these comics. And so what I always associated with like Italian comics were digest sized mm-hmm. and also... They can have like 48 pages. They're longer than regular comics. But like, have you ever seen those? They're like only like two panels per page. Oh, I don't think I like, have. Yeah. No. Because it didn't get published that much in English, okay. unfortunately. France had more of them, especially like the really like violent, like, uh, you know, like sex comics. Like France got them published. There's actually, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. There, there was like a publishing firm that mostly dealt in that. And it's kind of like a cult thing in France. Um, but you know, in it- Italian comics, there was also, it kind of evolved into Tex comics. Have you ever seen those sitting on the shelf where it's like a cowboy? Oh, T-E-X? Were, yeah, T-E-X okay. Tex. Yeah, T-E-X so Tex. That's yeah. like a big Italian thing. There's Very also, meta-textual. There's also a <laughs> uh, boo, a corto, cor, corto Maltese. Oh, I know those. Published in, in yeah. Italian. Corto Maltese is important as well as that. While I believe he was publishing kind of more French style hardcover, mm-hmm. you know, books, that that style of art, and I think I said this in a previous episode, kind of defines Italian comics for me. And that that's 
the style that you see in Dylan Dog as mm-hmm. well, which is not the almost like uh, cartoonly regimented style of Franco-Belgian comics, but it's still a stiffer style than you would even see in like American books. Hmm. Uh, and it was, I believe, I'm looking through my notes very quickly here, uh, the publisher of stuff like Dylan Dog that kind of popular popularized the um, almost manga style like comics would have a hundred pages mm-hmm. and every month you get a new digest styled like a hundred page comic book and that's how Dylan Dog is published is that they're like every story is usually kind of self-contained but is very long because like when I asked Mike what did you read he's like I read one it's a hundred pages Justin come on <laughs> it, it's wonderfully like dense but also breezy at the same time mm-hmm. like you, you look at it and it's like oh this is 100 pages and then it's just a page turner so and... i wonder if that's something yeah. that kept it from being published in english as well is that like maybe no publisher wanted to split it up or wasn't allowed to split it up yeah you look at the translation work of something like uh dylan dog which is very very wordy very detailed versus like viz bringing over ranma and it's like here's a battle that lasts all issue People say like 16 words. Or are they like, ah, listen, we got our other paranormal detective. Do we need Dylan Dog? Like, yeah, what is he yeah. bringing to, you know, American audiences that they need it? Like, if you look at, I have the uh, trade paperback, which is like an oversized digest uh, size version of the stuff that Dark Horse did. So Dark Horse published in the late 90s six issues, and then a couple of years later, a seventh issue. And then they collected them into this um, little... Uh, paperback and in classic dark horse style very out of print mm-hmm. you can't get this anymore so late no it's not labeled number one it's just no the, the, it's called the dylan dog case files okay and very confusingly published as well so the one we're mostly going to talk about is dylan dog number one uh originally published in 1986 called dawn of the living dead mm-hmm. issue two is uh, issue 81 of Dylan Dog from 1993, which is Johnny Freak, which is a very popular kind of character who had like two appearances. But then issue three of the Dark Horse one is issue 19 of the Italian version. And then issue four of the Dark Horse one is issue eight of the Italian version. So mm. they're like jumping back and forth uh, wildly. Yeah. So this was basically just an attempt to do like an anth- a Dark Horse anthology. Like, let's let's give a best of. Yeah. Right? Kind of like, I guess you could argue Fantagraphics did that with um, Uncle Scrooge. Mm. But they didn't start. I mean, that would be madness to start chronologically with Uncle Scrooge and then move through. They just kind of do best subs and they've been slowly kind of putting them out. Mm-hmm. I do think it's confusing as a reader to be like, what is this? Like, all those issues that I mentioned are off Wikipedia and that like this book gives you no context. Like, it doesn't even say like what these are originally from. That if you look in like the copyright, it says originally published as Dark Horse uh, Dylan Dog, issue one to seven. It's like, okay, but... What was that originally yeah, published Yeah, that doesn't as? help. Like, I know these were the seven dark There's actually issues. no years on the um, the table of contents. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah, so you don't yeah. know. And I mean, because the style, like, of these comic strips, uh, I say comic strips, comic books, is, like, you know, it, it's pretty uniform as so like if you flip through it you mm-hmm. won't like be able to tell like wow these are radically different artists but they're all different artists mm-hmm. because you can't sustain like a hundred pages every month mm-hmm. as an artist it's just too much unless you're a manga artist and you're going to die when you're 40 probably. but i think that's okay because like the month-to-month standalone trade paperback story 
mm-hmm. format, I think, lends itself well to bringing in different artists. There is some continuity between mm-hmm. the issues. So let me give the premise of Dylan Dog real quick. I said he's a paranormal detective. What are his kind of trademark things? Well, he always wears a red button-up with a black jacket and jeans. Mm-hmm. That's how he's always uh, dressed. Uh, he drives a little VW Bug. He's poor. He lives in London for some reason. Yeah, I mean, he also, he, he kind of reminds me of like a Sherlock Holmes sort of like yes. brilliant vagabond. Because he has like a Baker Street kind of thing. Yeah. Like he plays a flute to think mm-hmm. and that... Isn't he, it an oboe or a clarinet? Oh, it's an oboe? It's like a wood, woodwind instrument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know if that could... See, this is the weird thing about talking about this is like, does this continue through the comics? I don't know. Yeah. It is referenced in a further issue of this, but then it's kind of made a joke of, oh, remember in issue one when this happened, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But... One of the other trademark things is that he has a sidekick who is just Groucho Marx. He looks like Groucho Marx. He's making jokes about Groucho Marx. His in, name is Groucho Marx. He literally very, is. Yeah. Very weird move. Yeah. Uh, out of fear, Dark Horse censored his mustache in this comic. What? You didn't know this? No. Yeah. In these Dark Horse reprints, they uh, drew over anytime you see his face. Huh. So he just doesn't have a mustache. But uh, like... Why? Why? Like, uh, did, did Groucho have some estate that was like lawsuit crazy? I don't know uh, if knows? they came after him. There's so many Groucho parodies everywhere, yeah. though. Like, why is this an issue? For like, some I would reason? say Groucho more than any other. I would say he's in the, the top five, like, most Parody. visually parodied yeah. performers of all time. Maybe the issue is that, like, it's just Groucho. Yeah. Like, there's no other game to him. He's, like, just Groucho Marx. Yeah. I think he makes reference to being Groucho as well in this Did comic. you? Yeah, he, he like, he literally supposed to be the Groucho Marx. Yes. Uh, did you ever look up how or why that came to be? Was the no, creator just know. a fan yeah. of him? Probably just a fan of okay. Groucho Marx, yeah. Um, and so, like I mentioned, this is mostly written, at least the issues in this one, by the main uh, scriptwriter, uh, Tiziano Sclavi. And, but... Artists all across the board, and unfortunately, I don't know who these people are. Like, I don't have enough of a background. So, like, the one we're talking about today, Dawn of the Living Dead, it's illustrated by Angelo Stano. Now, Angelo Stano, who did illustrate the first story, uh, became kind of his the cover artist of Dylan Dog. So, like, he did the cover up to issue 363. Wow. That's how many issues that's of this th- comic there 363 times, let's say, approximately 100 pages per no, issue. No, he what? did the covers. No, no, that's what I mean. But yeah, like, yeah, but that's a lot of Dylan Dog. I'm just trying to say how much Dylan Dog exists. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, basically his style, I feel like, defines the look of the book. So people are mm-hmm. basically kind of working around his character templates i will say like johnny freak for example uh the art has a very um dc comics uh mm. stephen r Bissett, uh rick oh. veach look to very that yeah, very, very vertigo very, very yeah yeah and then the other one like 80s vertigo I, I i will say are just kind of like variations some of them are softer mm-hmm. some of them are um maybe even a little stiffer or detailed than the original artists like they all kind of look yeah. like that so you're not going to get something radically different at least in the issues that were published through this dark horse and even with the shifting uh, changes in artists this material which is all black and white here in yes. these classic issues. It was always published in black yeah, and white. It lends itself original. to black and white so well. I would never want to see these colored. Well, they, like, they have uh, later. They have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like 2000 but, AD, right? If you look in it, 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 Italian, like they keep republishing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. New edition. Don't, don't color Well, the them. big hardcover I have, uh, which is in storage at my parents' house, I think it was a mix of old and new. Oh, there was old and, and new. And the old ones, I'm pretty sure, I'd have to check it, but, yeah. uh, and it was dated in like the mid-2000s, and but everything was recolored. So like, uh, and I think the recolored ones were like those Judge Dredd ones we read, like just some bad computer. Computer color. Yeah, that's how they do it. It was uh, like 
Epicenter Comics got the rights to Dylan Dog and they republished mm-hmm. some, but seemingly to my eyes, it's all new stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if the original author was writing them, but the style is very reminiscent of like European comics of like yeah. the late 2010s. I should say this was an Italian edition. I couldn't even read it. Oh, you had an Italian yeah, edition. Yeah, a friend of... brought it back from Italy. Oh. So yeah, so some large friend, like hardcover. He and... went to Italy yeah. and he said that like, there's standees of Dylan Dog. Yeah. Like he's very popular. He's huge. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like it says here, 56 million copies worldwide. Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe because he's so popular in Italy that there's a, you know, a nervousness about public, because it feels like it would be an easy thing to do to like yeah. republish these in English. Yeah, but, he, but even like scanlations of fans doing it, they did up to like issue six and then they're like, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's probably because, yeah, they're so dense and so long. Like yeah. uh, there's not going to be an epic fan that, project like, necessarily. In France, they did a bunch of, uh, you know, volumes in the early 2000s, but then they kind of gave it up. Like there's not like a concurrent, mm-hmm. you know, publishing of Dylan Dog that continued. So what's the plot of this first issue, uh, Mike? Um, a uh, wealthy woman in her mansion is attacked by a zombie. Yes, that's right. In the opening pages, incredibly well staged, like sort of fleeing in the mansion. A lot of amazing camera angles. You know what surprised yeah. me about this comic? Mm. It came into my mind as I was reading it. Why doesn't a Blu-ray boutique label buy these comics and release them? Actually, Vinegar Center, they have the book yeah, line yeah. now. These are Do basically that. like just Italian horror exploitation movies mm. in comic book form. Yeah. They have a uniformity to them that it's not like, oh, it's too scary. Like, what will it look like? Like, they all kind of look the same. And they're all inspired by like Giallo, mm-hmm. zombies. I'm sure there's probably like werewolf. I mean, there's 320 something issues. So there's like probably all sorts of uh, horror monsters under the sun that uh, Dylan Dog deals with. Like, this seems like just like a slam dunk to this like is release. like yeah prime for like vinegar center where someone who does this sort of thing so adjacent to so much i, I they do already feel that maybe the publisher whether it be the author or yeah. benelli comics themselves mm-hmm. there's like weird maybe right stuff because like cemetery man uh was a movie that like could not get a north american blu-ray release mm-hmm. it's about to oh, is it really severin is putting it out amazing on oh. which makes me wonder like they love to do all their like feelies like translate the cemetery man novel and include it as like the deluxe set of yeah, cemetery yeah. man i would love to, i would love to read that novel like what is it like like and you know is it is there a fear of like well this is not a recognizable character will people buy it just sell it as like italian horror like brought to the comic book page because that's what all of these issues that i read and i read the whole volume Mm -hmm. uh, are like where it's like you know just genre tropes and they just do it in interesting ways there's gore there's nudity you see breasts in these comic books i mean this first part is definitely like uh, the artist or the writer they just saw um, blood simple yeah because it has like the same gag of like the woman being chased and then she goes into the bathroom and the, the like man is like trying to grab at her and she grabs scissors and stabs him mm-hmm. this is um I mean, despite everything we're saying, like comparing it to Giallo and uh, Italian exploitation films, this is still like a pretty freaking classy story. Yeah. Like relative to like how much grimier it could be. It's not like, sleazy. It's not sleazy. That's yeah. a good, yeah, a good word to like not describe it. Uh, there is like a sort of sense of mystery and progression to all this too. Mm. And I think like the Sherlock Holmes comparison is pretty apt because, I mean, which is I mean, obviously intended. Like yeah. they want you to think of Sherlock Holmes when you're meeting this character. And, He's in uh, London, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and maybe Groucho's existence as a psychic is kind of like a joke of him being the anti-Watson. Because mm-hmm. normally, like, Watson is like the stoic, like, serious drip to, like, Holmes being sort of a bit off book. But in this case, Groucho is like the wild card. And Groucho throughout, cracking jokes, just yeah. Groucho-style jokes throughout. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, Characters yeah. get very annoyed with him. I was kind of fascinated reading these, like, seven issues is, is that Dylan Dog falls in love with every woman uh, person that comes to him tr- asking him to solve a case. Mm-hmm. And it's like, does that happen for 
over 363 <laughs> issues. It happened with me reading this issue. Dylan Dog is like a cool AF. Yeah. Like they, it would be so easy or lazy to write him as like some like dashing, cool, like yeah. debonair guy. But he's, he's, he's kind of a loser. Yeah, he's a loser. He's a goofball. Yeah. Like he's, he, he reminds me of um, Lupin. In yeah, a way, kind, kind of. Kind of. Uh, yeah, maybe less physically. Not, not the manga Lupin, which are very problematic. Oh, I've Have never read, read those? those, no. They're so problematic that in the recent publications that they did through uh, Kodansha, okay. they like digitally erased like women's bodies because oh, like man. they were like sexually assaulting them in the car. Oh Jesus awful. Yeah. Okay. Uh very but I think when you think of Lupin you think of Castle of Cagliostro. That's what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, the Miyazaki yeah. and also the animated version. And the ones that came out. He's very yeah. Lupin, very deadpan. Are you a fan of the paranormal detective? I actually made a list of like cuz I love that concept. Oh heck yes. I am all in on any sort of paranormal detective investigation. So what are some of your favorites? I wrote some here so it could be like, "Oh yes, that's fun." I mean, okay. when you think of paranormal detective I think our minds go automatically like John Constantine, mm -hmm. especially in comic book form. Yeah, yeah. That I was always kind of disillusioned with the John Constantine that was very popular um, when I was a teenager because that was the Vertigo John Constantine written by people like Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis. And there was a kind of annoyance with the tropes that that would have. So it's like they don't want him to do magic. Like yeah. nothing magic really happens for six issues. And then he fails and you know it leaves a like bittersweet taste in your mouth yeah i both have like a like love and annoyance with the character of john Constantine. like i love the character because he's supposed to be a loser but That's, like, i whenever too. he's kind of like um annoyed with the premise of himself and his own yeah. series he doesn't like being i don't that. like those constantine series yeah. i like when he is like this you know cocksure yeah like, I quippy I, I love the idea like, of like a paranormal detective who knows all of this very obscure stuff yeah. and he's like oh man we have to do this like we have to get like the blood of the unicorn etc did you ever watch so there was that constantine series that was on hbo uh, I saw the first few episodes of that, and I saw him when he entered when he, Legends, of of Legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legends. League of Legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. League of Legends. Uh, the, the popular Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, what right. a, both generic titles. Yeah. But it's very funny that he did join like a very generic superhero team, and he just yeah. became like that occult guy on the show <laughs> that wasn't really like built for him. So, I mean, I kind of enjoyed the comics they did when uh, DC Comics Rebirth came back. Mm -hmm. Remember, and then like there was Justice League Dark. And he was part of that team. Oh, yeah. I think Ray Fox wrote some of that. I don't know who Ray Fox is. Uh, he's worked with Jeff Lemire on a lot of stuff. Mm. And um, uh, Toronto-based, I believe. Huh. And uh, incredible bibliography. Yeah, look him up. I remember time. reading, like, Steve Niles has his Carl McDonald series. I don't know if you've ever read those ones. No, uh, I don't know those ones. There's a lot of, like, weird tales uh, kind of detective heroes that okay. were, like, adapted into comics. For example, um, uh, mainly Wade Williams wrote a lot of, like, occult detectives. I think there's a collected book mm -hmm. you can get of that kind of stuff. I just like the like shaggy, probably smoking guy, even though that Dylan yeah. Dog does not smoke. And that's actually a point in the comic. Oh, like, really? He doesn't smoke. He's actually a vegetarian as well. Okay. And, yes, he uh, is. Right, right, but right. But it's like the kind of like shabby look is what I love about the occult detective. Mm. Uh, Dresden Files is really popular. I'm not that familiar with the Jim Butcher series. Those are really popular. Yeah. Who's the character who uh, Fred Ward played and then Dennis Hopper in those two films? Oh, that was like the H.P. Lovecraft kind of like shaggy occult detective. Yeah. One where the world has accepted. It was like a Lovecraft noir yes sort of uh, setup world man i know so much information about it like the fact that martin K campbell directed the first one cast a deadly oh, spell cast a deadly spell and witch was, hunt was the movie Paul schrader directed the second one yeah yeah i don't think was that based on a, a larger premise um, i don't think it was i th believe it was written maybe by the guys who did the rocketeer oh, my mistake yeah that was an original concept yeah but it fits within everything we're talking about now mm -hmm. like someone who's kind of and it almost seems like there's some like some sort of just um characterization that goes into being an occult detective where 
your life is usually in shambles because you're kind of looking beyond. Into, yes, and you can't kind of like associate with normal human beings. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, death is around. I mean, John Constantine is only defined by the like river of bodies he's left in his wake like he's always like i can't believe i let this person die and i was like who like you let so many people <laughs> die like children loved ones their souls are damned to hell etc etc did you ever read neil gaiman's like single constantine story called hold me no it's with a uh, i don't know if it was part of the regular line of hellblazer but it was a um maybe in one of the anthologies or vertigo would do these like yearly annuals and stuff like that and it's just about this uh like ghost of a homeless person mm. who's just I don't know if he's necessarily tormenting him he's just around and scaring people and saying hold me and then constantly just gives him this really big hug and it's really like you know done dead serious and unironically and like mm. it's such a wholesome moment and it's one of those moments where Neil Gaiman like you know takes everything you know about what the character does and just spins it in a different direction uh, one of my favorite John Constantine things I've re read recently is Hellblazer Rise and Fall which is a series by my new favorite author Tom Taylor which is like a black mm. label self-contained thing uh, would recommend really fun John Constantine story that ends up with him having to team up with Satan to solve a mystery oh is this the one I like heard someone in a recommended as like people are falling from the sky yes that's rich the basic people. premise rich, rich people are falling from the sky and they have angel wings and they uh, don't know why uh, and obviously splattering and dying and splattering and dying okay. and they're trying to figure out like why is this happening and John Constantine <laughs> again I love the feeling of like this person has been on a million adventures they'll mm. be on another million adventures I, I like the kind of like annoyance yeah but like that they know and they can take control of the situation. That's yeah. my favorite kind of paranormal detective. So speaking of the situation, so the basic premise of this story is uh, that a character who I, I wanted to ask, like, do you know if, if this Dr. Abraxas is like a Moriarty uh, yes, that, that comes back, come back again? I mean, I can only speak to it of the few videos I watched online. Okay. And I feel like the English language like kind of breakdowns they got all their information from these comics as well, like these, you know, Dark Horse mm -hmm. ones, that he does come back again uh, in an issue called okay. Morgana, which is a very Alan Moore style, like what is reality kind of comic. Oh, sure. And he keeps referencing back to the first issue as well. Oh, He's okay. like, oh, remember in this first issue when we did this? Oh, that's cool. I like to hear that. And What kind it, of defines, yeah. though, a Dylan Dog is that when the person tells him like, oh, the doctor's name is this, in the next panel, Dylan Dog deciphers it he's like oh yeah it's an anagram for abraxas like it's not a reveal later on he just figures out, <laughs> out instantly and it seemed pretty easy in this it's like dr subraxa is actually dr abraxas and he's uh invented a like reanimating agent to reanimate mm. the dead and actually describes it in such a well-written way in terms of what this will do this will be in the atmosphere this will like he's basically sciencing the premise of any zombie movie out yeah. that normally doesn't answer those questions and i love that this story actually references other zombie movies well yeah which like zombies Series rarely ever do. I would maybe be annoyed if this yeah. was like a modern day comic that did this, yes. but this is like 1986, yeah. so we're like on the zombies aren't very even when this was republished 1999 mm -hmm. i think they went to zombies because like oh horror fans love zombies but it does not have the kind of cultural popularity that would follow the dawn of the dead remake and the resident evil uh paul w sanderson mila jo jovovich films where it's like too many zombies i feel like <laughs> we're coming back because we haven't like the zombie wave really died down like five years ago yeah, Walking Dead oversaturation kind of killed it. Oh, we'll we'll like address that in upcoming Walking episode. Dead series too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think this one is pretty fun because uh, Dylan Dog is kind of on top of the situation as it's happening. Dylan Dog loves horror films as well. Like they mm -hmm. go to a horror movie marathon at one point. Uh, I, I found it refreshingly funny as well. Is that like there's jokes in this that made me laugh. 
even at the end when uh, Dylan Dog gets kidnapped by him, there's a really funny gag where he goes, uh, my briefcase will explode in five minutes unless you unlock it. And the doctor's like, what are you talking about? That can't be true. And then the doctor throws it and it does explode. Yeah. Dylan Dog is on top of the situation. I cracked up at that. Right. Uh, Groucho Marx's role is basically to like throw Dylan Dog his magnum. Yeah. He's like Dylan Dog, which is also a thing in Cemetery Man, if you recall. Oh, it is. He's, yes, like, yes. he's like, I need my gun. Give me my gun. Which is what also <laughs> happened in this comic. Um, what's interesting about like these comics is that because they're all 100 pages they go in very weird directions that you don't expect these comics also do something that from people who have read more of these say are it's kind of a running theme in the series is the idea that the monsters in the comic are very rarely the um you know, just Dylan Dog needs to find them and kill them. Mm -hmm. Usually they get revealed to be more sympathetic figures and that there's like a human being behind them. That's the real evil thing. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, there's like Johnny freak, which uh, yeah, the title really says it right there. Uh, <laughs> Johnny like freak. A it's very like, sympathetic uh, yeah. figure that like is being hunted and things like that. Uh, the next one, uh, issue three is really cool. And I, I feel is, uh, kind of what Dylan Dog can be, which is it starts as a bit of a uh, giallo. You got like the rain-coated killer. That's the cover art. Um, Mike Mignola did all new covers for the uh, Dark Horse republication, which I'm like, that's cool, but give us the original covers yeah, yeah. of uh, that uh, the artist did. Because the Mike Mignola covers just all kind of look the same because it's like that Mike Mignola, like yeah. Dylan Dog's on the cover, usually the antagonist in the background. Actually, it's a relatively recent thing I've noticed in the last few years where, uh, from any publisher where thankfully trade paperbacks now... They go back to the original covers? Well, no, I was going to say they'll include all the variant covers uh, in the yes, back. Yes, yes. Uh, now that variant covers for things are such a big deal, like they'll usually include all of them. So Memories from the Invisible World, mm -hmm. uh, the third Dark Horse issue, is like a raincoated killer is killing prostitutes. But then there's a reveal that there's an invisible man that's watching and narrating all of this going on. And they think the invisible man is the killer. And there are like 10 red herrings in this comic. Oh, I love Some it. of them that are all murdering people. And this 100-page issue spans like six months. Oh like Christmas comes and then months pass. Uh, Dylan Dog forms a relationship with one of the sex workers <laughs> and uh, like proposes marriage to her at one point uh, near the end of the issue, which made me wonder like, what is Dylan Dog's uh, like <laughs> romantic life in these <laughs> issues? Uh, really fun. Goes in a million different directions. The same thing with there's an issue called The Monster Returns. It's the force or the return of the monster. And this one starts with the uh, premise that a young woman, when she was a teenager, her whole family was murdered gruesomely. All the heads were cut off oh my God. by a local help who has some physical um, uh, issues, who was then put an, in a mental hospital for decades. And he's just escaped and she's terrified that he'll come back. So she hires Dylan Dog to help her. And... In the issue, like, Dylan Dog discovers that the mansion where this woman lives, this blind woman lives, so, like, very giallo, like, Italian, like, blind woman under threat. There's, like, a hulking, like, old-school Frankenstein-looking man that's after her mm. uh, who... He has been running around in a like underground castle, like catacombs that are underneath the uh, mansion. Is there a big reveal? And it's not really the monster who's been doing the killing. Mm -hmm. Of course there is. <laughs> this feels like a Dylan Dog kind of thing. This is watching you flip through this. Every issue is so like dynamic and different. Yeah. Uh, like, look, giant catacombs. Yeah, like, Dylan yeah. Dog ends up with a sword in this issue as well. Uh, it's a very fun one. And then there's like. 
I think they included this one because it's kind of one of the uh, like defining Dylan Dog stories. And from what I can tell, also has a recurring character that like is Dylan Dog's kind of like long term love interest called Morgana. Mm. This was issue number twenty five, and this issue is like so indebted to. I mean, eh, this was written in nineteen eighty eight. When did Grant Morrison do his like Animal Man runs? Uh, right around that right same around there. time. Because it uh, feels very much like that, where it's like Morgana is a beautiful young woman, uh, Feta Morgana, yeah, you know, <laughs> who uh, seems to be in a zombie world, but she's like, oh, this is just a nightmare. And then Dylan Dog keeps waking up from nightmares, and then it pulls back to reveal that the author of the comic is illustrating it, oh, and people are reading like that. Dylan Dog comics. Oh my God. And so you're never sure what's real or what's not real. Dylan Dog kind of realizes that, oh, the Morgana that he's falling in love with, that maybe she's real. She's also a comic in their world but there's also like a apocalypse and yeah so it's very weird very all over the place each of these stories you're describing sounds so wildly different from each other that i can yeah. see why someone at dark horse was like these are the ones let's put this assortment in a trade paper back here because then that uh you know dr abraxas comes back and he's like remember when i said we'll meet again dylan dog well <laughs> we're meeting again now it's i love how much uh, he looks like clint howard here kind yeah, of yeah he does kind of look from evil speak or ice cream man fame yeah so yeah, yeah. like there's a lot of different kind of variations you can do on the Dylan Dog character. I mean, like there's like 400 issues. Yeah. And it's a shame. I can't read them. I would like to read them. But I guess it's a mixture of there's too many mm-hmm. that he's not an original concept enough that they feel like you could hard sell it to English speaking audiences. And each issue is 100 pages. Yeah. They're so long and there's so many of them that like there's no way someone... Even today, if like Fantagraphics announced some Dylan Dog reprinting endeavor, they're not going to like start at the beginning and go through them. They should start at the beginning. They should. Yeah. I would love to see like you do some thick versions like this, like some paperbacks. You You publish three per issue. Yeah. That's how you do it. Like first three, here you go. Next three, here you go. Mm -hmm. And then you do it that way. So it's kind of like that manga omnibus style. Oh, that would work. Where it's like sometimes manga publishers are a little nervous of publishing them like one at a time. So Mm -hmm. you can do them all as one. I feel like there's an audience for this. I, yeah. And I want there to be. I, I can feel... I understand why a publisher might be intimidated. Looking at this Dark Horse thing and seeing how thick it is. This thing's like almost two inches thick for seven issues of hundreds and hundreds and yeah. hundreds of issues. And like even the next issue after that like weird Alan Moore like all over the place like what is reality? What is not? The next issue... It's also like that. It's called, uh, I think it just has a very straightforward title, like After Midnight. Mm. And it seems to be about an axe murder, but then it's not about that. And there's like, uh, Dylan Dog runs into like a guy in a space suit as these axe murders are going on. He goes to like a rock show, very all over the place, very psychedelic. I feel like there's an English American audience that is just ready and waiting to discover this. Mm. And they just did there's no access to it right now. And mm. that when this was published like 1999, 2002, that wasn't the right time to do that. Now is the right time. Now to do is. That. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there is enough of a small audience, maybe like the, uh, Benelli comics, like their demands are too much. Like, mm. I don't know what it could be, but like, why does, is the license owned by like a very small publisher yeah. that if you want to order their books, whatever ones are in print, you have to buy through eBay, uh-huh. their official eBay store. That's how they sell them. Or maybe with things like subsecting of maybe the way of doing it is to do them digital only. So you don't yeah, have to worry about, I know, I know physical versions are good, but let me just, I, I'm just thinking like, yeah. There's there was never an exhaustive fan project to like digitally translate and scan. If you look them. online, I was able to find yeah. like 240 issues were scanned. Okay, 
but they're but in Italian. They're Italian. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's very few that were ever translated. So like the I don't know, the market is there. This is not like a retreaded territory. Get on this. Like yeah. Dylan Dog is right here, and uh, or Severin. And speaking of adaptations, as you mentioned recently, I've never seen the Brandon Ruth movie. I am shocked you haven't seen the Brandon Ruth version. I wanted to. It was in theaters. It was one of those movies that was maybe like only playing at Young and Dundas Mm -hmm. for like a week. And I remember... It was one that was announced a long time ago, and it sat on the shelf forever. And it was directed by the guy who did the TMNT animated movie and Jonah Hex. Kevin Monroe. Yeah. Uh, not a good track record. I like the TMNT movie. I'm actually okay with Jonah Hex. Oh, that movie's yeah. so bad. Uh, that movie is... Oh, wait, he didn't do that one? Oh, he didn't? No, I thought no. he did. The film's by Jimmy Hayward. Jimmy Hayward? Yeah, who's that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I was wrong. I thought he had done Jonah Hex, but no. He went right from TMNT to De- uh, Dylan Dog. And the problem that they have in the movie is that, uh, first of all, Brendan Roos, really buff. Too mm. buff to play Dylan Dog. He mm. wears a trademark suit. He drives around in a VW... Um, uh, truck but they had the story be through the a prism of like this lame zombie comedy sidekick that he has Ugh. and it's like there's so much time spent to that and they also try to create this wild mythology where it's like all the fighting angels and demons uh, have declared a truce and Dylan Dog is the one that's like no don't no, none of that just do a standalone one off thing I can't stand when uh, like they're trying to build this big mythology yeah. and it's like oh don't you want to see where this goes no just have him solving supernatural <laughs> he would be good as like a TV series yeah. I'm surprised that he's never had an Italian movie adaptation I think mm-hmm. maybe the issue is that he um Became popular in 1986, which you could have gotten a movie around that time. But once you get into the 90s, that's when the Italian film industry is kind of dying. Yeah. So like, and maybe again, it's like the rights holders are very selective about what they will allow people to do or not. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe somebody can speak uh, better to that. But that seems to be the explanation because it feels like ready made. Like there wasn't, there's never been a Dylan Dog TV show. Mm -hmm. There's been video games. There's a very... Yeah, I send you links. I send you two long plays of them. Oh, there's, okay. Uh, like I a, wanted short plays. Uh, there's an action <laughs> game, okay. which looks very slow, where it's like Dylan Dodge kind of like walking through mansions and like trying to avoid stuff. And there is a, it's not the 3D one, it's 2D. Yeah, uh, that's like the Sierra style adventure game. Oh, I'd love Dylan to play Dog. something like that. There's it looks there. so slow paced. Oh, like you're watching okay. Dylan Dog walk slowly through screen. And unfortunately... Both of those games, only in Italian, oh. which I think is problematic for the adventure games yeah. specifically. You could probably play, like, I'm sure the terrible side-scrolling action game. But again, I guess at the end of the day is that Dylan Dog, really fun um, concept, yep. really fun comics. Like, as we say with some of these rarer comics that are difficult to get your hand on, they're not in print. So just search Dylan Dog comic online. Well, I never read any in English until this past week because yeah. the big hardcover friend brought me from Italy. Like I said, it was in Italian. It was awesome flipping through. All the action was so well connoted yeah. uh, just that I didn't need to know Italian. And um, rereading this first issue this past week was like as dynamic and exciting as like any like horror adventure comic I've read today. I don't think it has that, like it's not a Franco-Belgian comic where you're like, oh my God, this panel of text. Like it's like any comic you would find on the shelf. It flows really well. Yep. So uh, yeah, publishers uh, at the end of the day, republish Dylan Dog. People start talking about Dylan Dog. If you're Italian, start the 
you know, justice for DD. Yeah, justice for uh, DD. I guess if you're Italian, a lot hashtag. of people are like, "Well, I have it. I don't need to translate it. It's out yeah. in the world." Yeah, we're the suckers who can't read it. Yeah, I can't um, read it. My French is failing me. There's not enough <laughs> uh, Dylan Dog in French, and I th- could have sworn they would have been. I'm just reading here that Italian author Umberto Eco of In the Name of the Rose fame said, "I can read the Bible, Homer, or Dylan Dog for several days without being bored." That rules. Take that it. Bible. Maybe, uh, you know, the, the Italians are like, Dylan Dog is ours. Like, we don't want to share it with you guys. Maybe. So, uh, I mean, Tintin's really popular, but I guess that's different, right? And there was uh, so little of it, and yeah. they were considerably thinner. So it, like, lent itself well to... And it's for children as well. Well, yeah, Dylan Dog yeah. is more of an adult-oriented thing. True. So, as per usual, you can send us letters at the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast and send us a DM there yep. if you'd like if you us to read it on air. Recommendations. Can you uh, enlighten us to the world of Dylan Dog that, uh, you know, us uh, barbaric English speaking audiences can't uh, get into for obvious reasons? Mm-hmm. Have you ever considered being like, maybe I want to learn a language just because you've liked something in a different language that wasn't that available in English uh, other than Japanese? I have too many hobbies already, yeah. but I keep hearing that that Duolingo app is really quite good. Have you? So probably Japanese is the one that you're because absolutely you're, you're a secret japanophile which doesn't oh. come up this much on the podcast really doesn't but but no. i know you are like, i love the culture japan i mean i'd even for... just love to read like old japanese novels and texts and stuff mm. too like it's not even just a manga thing i just i just love the history have you culture. not like reach for japanese stuff when we've been doing the show because i think we did ranma and i think that's it that we did in japanese Ooh, right i'm sure it'll we'll circle back to it mm-hmm. eventually all right so we have some letters here so our first letter is from peter stevens and he goes i'm the winner of the contest joke joke <laughs> remember, we said that if you give us a five-star honest review at the end of this month, we'll pick one of the people who did a review, and we will give you, uh, you know, the co- whatever package of comics that we. And have. as of the airing of this episode, uh, it is still September, so you yes. have until the end of September to give us a five-star so time you review. Can do it right. This is uh, give us a review on i tune apple podcast apple podcast really i don't know how this works this is software now but they don't call it itunes anymore so an apple podcast five five star review i mean spotify where a lot of people listen to podcasts yeah i feel like there's been a shift in the last year right yeah you can rate a show up to five stars on spotify uh there's no review apparatus on there so it's a little difficult so and the way we'll do it is we're going to read the person's username on this show to say that you're the winner then you have to contact completely random draw by physical analog pieces of paper out of a hat well yeah if you want to do it mike we can do it uh no, we, we're going to print a comic and we will turn the pages until we land on someone's <laughs> name. So uh, Peter Stevens writes, just listen to episode 27. Another great episode. What was episode 27? Uh, <laughs> Mike, uh, you're supposed to know all of this right off the tip of your tongue. <laughs> the letter continues. A little structure suggestion. I enjoy when both of you pick a panel or sequence in the comic and try to put words to visual. It makes me want to look up the comics to see it for myself. Oh, thank you. We were actually trying to do that purposely in the uh, Spider-Man episode mm-hmm. because there were so many like great bits that were either memeable or uh, just really funny. Uh, you could share your favorite or share what moment in comic is the best snapshot of the artist's style. I think one of the issues with that is that I don't think I have a um, dense enough vocabulary to describe artist style. Like it's not something that I've, I have enough experience with. So mm-hmm. as people have asked me like, what do you mean by a lot of lines? And I was like, ah, complicated, you know? Uh. Yeah. 
But because I can't be like, ah, yes, this is uh, reminiscent of these masters and their <laughs> definitive style. I'm like, there's a lot of black on these comics. And the, he also asks us, what are your personal favorite comic book panel sequences or covers? Uh, that's a big question, but he also asked, if you had a poster-sized version of a panel, what would you choose? That's a good question. What would you choose? So I have like a, a serious answer and a funny answer. Okay. And the serious answer is the cover of G.I. Joe t- issue 21. This is the 1980s oh, so you're going run classic. by Larry Hama. Yeah, we've talked about this And before. this is the famous silent issue, but even aside from how great the issue is in itself, the cover art is absolutely phenomenal. It has everyone's favorite character, Snake Eyes, uh, rappelling down uh, you know, a surface or a wall of the base or something like that. Um, He's firing his Uzi and there's just like just shells going off all around him and there's something that's like so classy about it without being militaristic and it just like connotes a lot of visual action for an issue that is about to become be like told in an entirely silent medium and i find that so fitting for both uh the character snake eyes around this point was becoming like the star runaway character in the comic and cartoon and toy line and to have such an action-packed cover that's also displayed uh, like so silently Mm -hmm. i really love that so it's something that fits with the theme of the story and is just an awesome piece of like art and composition on its own and my funny answer is uh, this particular panel here of Marvel's Hercules giving a thumbs up. Oh, yeah, that's a meme, isn't Such it? Such a memed panel. Yeah. And the moment that it happens in that run in the book, and the run itself is Incredible Hercules by Greg Pak and Fred Van Lenty. And they took a, you know, a D-list Marvel character that no one ever really cared about, who was always just known as, like, Drunk Thor. Yeah. And created this epic adventure of, like, him exploring the Greek pantheon and other pantheons and doing stuff, like, outside of the normal godly Asgard thing. And he was just really, like, funny and action-packed a mentor and introduced this secondary character this um, boy genius named Amadeus Cho who was the least annoyingly written boy genius ever in any comics medium is awesome character and it was the two of them going on wacky world adventures and there's this uh, single panel where of him just giving smiling and giving a smile and giving a thumbs up and Amadeus Cho as it seems like he is about to get it on with someone I'm trying and, to think and Hercules like... is misreading the situation but his sheer joy in the situation and the paneling and like the sort of freeze frame of that and the thumbs up was just at the time it came out and still today just regarded as so incredibly wholesome and wonderful and friendly and like could have been broier yeah but it's just like Hey, good buddy. Here yeah. you go. I'm trying to think of like comic book panels like that. When you said meme, I was like, oh, meme, meme, meme. Okay, what, what, what's a meme style panel? All that comes to mind is, of course, Simpsons memes of like, mm-hmm. I would, if I could blow up a Simpsons frame, it would probably be like an off model Homer. Have you seen what he's like? He's at the, on the end of a line and he's like, his face is all <laughs> yes, squished yes, yes. and he looks all weird. <laughs> or um, that really funny frame where it's like his head peeking out of the window mm-hmm. when he's like, I think he's rocking back and forth. Yeah, it? yeah. Where it's just like that. But when it comes to comics, I'm trying to think of like one of my favorites and no particular panel comes to mind. Like maybe that like iconic, it's just so violent. I wouldn't want to put it up on the wall of the first page of uh, Garth Ennis and John McCrea's uh, Hitman, which is like him blowing somebody in the head and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> the person's uh, you see the back of the person's head and you, which so it's like kind of like a head and shoulders of the hitman and his gun is in frame and he's like bang and it's like poosh, and blood is shooting all over the place mm-hmm. probably something maybe from scud the disposable assassin which oh, is my favorite comic as a teenager yeah. i love that comic so much do you I, own any original comic art no like for anyone? Okay. i've never had any interest i am i've been so cash strapped my entire life that those kind of extravagances are things that don't even cross Mm. my mind. Like I was walking through artist alley the last time and thinking, 
man, it, I've never even considered like, oh, I should go get an artist that I really like to draw me something. Because mm -hmm. that's what they do at conventions usually. Yeah, oh, yeah. You commission yeah. art and they do it. But it seems so unaffordable and impossible i never even considered it for a second well, actually what's even cheaper than that and what he was referring to is like just the actual full no i understand done. i understand yeah but I, no. and i went at the one time i went to new york comic-con there was a, a vendor who had massive like 30 yards of like boxes of like hundreds of those deep of all like 80s and 90s pa random pages none of them were Probably like the 80s issues. and 90s like what would you but want it, though that's why you'd want those because that's where the lettering was still included up through the late 90s yeah so it was the late 90s when they started computer colorizing computer lettering everything mm -hmm. and um i'll show you the ones i have sometime because i have uh only two one of them is the first page of the final issue of the Armageddon 2001 event. <laughs> that's a terrible event. Exactly. But that's why all these pages were like $50 or oh, something. I need to give and, an update. Uh, I don't know yeah. if we did this on an episode, but after we did Evolution War, we, we, we talked about how it had been collected in a hardcover, but it's like, it's impossible to find. It's $200. It was on sale at BMV next time I checked, <laughs> which makes me think someone owned it, didn't read it, listened to our episode and went, oh, I want to sell. This is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but so what was the second piece? Oh, the other one had? is, um, do you know the, remember the famous like old Justice League issue with uh, the chessboard on the cover and Despero is making the Justice League play <laughs> chess? Vaguely, yeah. Uh, that chessboard uh, came back up in, during Dan Jurgen's Justice League run in the 90s, which was immediately after Justice League International. Yeah, and so I bought the like um, a page from that issue, and it's it's incredible because you get the like dialogue on these more more talky early '90s comics. So like the whole page connotes like what the story is. How and, much like, does these cost? These are like fifty or sixty bucks. Fifty, US. sixty bucks. It was nuts. Yeah, I could do that. They had like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these because, and I didn't really realize until I saw these in New York Comic Con, like how much of this was produced yeah. and how little of it collectors actually want unless it's like an awesome splash page or yeah. a cover or like some two-page spread i've never been like as a collector i've never been someone who's like i need the first edition mm -hmm. or even like the original poster i'm like can you give me like a poster that's just a reprint of it that kind of looks like it? yeah okay that's good enough i can put that up on my mm -hmm. wall and it, I, yeah I, that's never something so like original art is never anything that I would have gone towards unless I stumbled upon it. I was like, hey, that's affordable. I like that. That's mm -hmm. the only reason that I would like check it out. I read a Kotaku article about a video game box original art mm -hmm. from the 80s and 90s and how there'd never really been a collector's market for it. And one guy set out to try and track down like who painted all of Those these video like, game collectors. They're yeah. scary. I don't like them. They're pretty, like, they can be yeah. pretty scary. But this is pretty fun. Pretty ah, my uh, graded copy of Mario 64 unopened. It's going to get my retirement. $10,000. And sadly, it's sometimes does did you yeah. uh, watch that video where they revealed that it's basically like they created the system absolutely yeah and like they own the company that grades things and also the auction house yeah so they can raise the money uh and like <sighs> jack up the prices that's wild it's yeah don't, don't have stuff slab degraded people it's please. almost like capitalism doesn't work <laughs> what the heck <laughs> um but yeah I, I wonder if we do you ever collect any like artist editions of things of like reproductions of the original like pages not really I, those things are very expensive and uh, i don't know i don't need like a really big thing on a shelf versus just having the original i have a big hardcover two big hardcovers uh terry and the pirates okay. and the complete little nemo they're so big i have no shelf to put them on I, that like, little nemo one is gorgeous and i love little nemo yeah and i just Do you know they think, visit toronto at one point they what they visit, they visit toronto, toronto? Yeah. oh wow because they go on like a world tour and okay. one of the uh, pages they visit toronto huh uh, but yeah, it's like, where would you put it? It's currently like beside my shelf because mm -hmm. I don't have a shelf big enough to hold it. You turn it into a coffee table. I don't know. I, I, I guess. I mean, that's like the, 
I'm not a big fan of coffee table books just because like, where do I put these? Yeah. And how do I store but them? But what if the coffee table book was also a coffee table? Yes. Like Kramer's. Wow. Uh, I just need to be so rich that like, you know, people can come in, change out my books and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> coffee table books, are they meant to be read or not? That's the true question. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to do something that we've never done before, which is let people know what we're going to be doing for the next month of Spooktober. Uh, I need, we need a copyrighted sound just for the very fine comic book How about uh, shamble, shamble, shamble? Shamble. No, wham. That's awful. Uh, wham. <laughs> it's a wham, but it's spooky. <laughs> Wimmy, wham, wham, wazzle. What's the sound effect? Uh, um, snicked or twip, twip. That's not the Spider-Man? Yeah. Uh, Okay, we'll workshop that. We'll workshop that. We we need our spooky names, too. A new one for every episode. Yeah, so coming up, Spooktober. It's going to be four weeks of spooky-themed books. we're starting with something classy. Something award-winning. Very acclaimed. Uh, Emily Carroll, uh, Ontario's own Emily Carroll, originally from London, Ontario. I think she lives in Stratford now with her partner. And uh, she created a bunch of webcomics in the early 2010s. Very acclaimed, but she used the medium of webcomics in a way we've discussed previously where things would be designed to do like a panel at a time things that might not translate well to a physical medium well we're going to be reading that physical medium we are and so very good won a bunch of awards it's incredible so we're going to be reading the first collection of those physical works more than one uh just that single one that i know so far through the woods which was published about nine or ten years ago by emily written and drawn by emily carroll what has she done since then uh she's done some more web comics okay we'll address that next issue one of the stories on the spot yeah one of her stories was adapted into an episode of uh the cabinet of curiosities the guillermo del toro oh yeah Um, i will say her comics Really good, chill down your spine comics. Very much so, like really classic yeah. style horror, not oh, related like, to monsters, when but you reach like the end of it. Yeah, the theme of it is is the the terror there. And uh, I'll post in advance links to the web Are versions they all of some of them. Still? Uh, several of them are. I think some of the ones in the book were made for the book. Oh, I might okay. be mistaken. Yes, but, that sounds about right. Um, this book very easy to get to. Yeah, like, it is in every local library if you were in Ontario and what is surely it beyond. Through the woods. All right, through the Emily woods by Carol. Emily Carroll. And then it's a zombie jamboree because mm-hmm. oh, Mike came to the table with another one of his <laughs> names that sound like other things. Yeah. What are we going to be talking about, Mike? We're going to be talking about The Walking Dead, but. Or- <laughs> Or are we? <laughs> Not the Robert Kirkman series, which uh, lasted forever and has turned into, what, seven TV series by now? Yeah. Uh, but rather, the original The Walking Dead, unrelated to the Kirkman series, a four-issue Aerosol Comics miniseries from 1989. Aerosol being the Ontario-based comic book publisher we spoke to... We spoke about previously in relation to them doing Men in Black, and mm-hmm. it used to be an air conditioning company who switched around, yep. thanks to one of their employees. Uh Mike told me this, and I said, all right, Mike, we're all going to be talking about The Walking Dead uh, well, <laughs> and Dead World. Yes, we'll also get into, uh, tell me about Dead World. Uh, Dead World was a comic published in the uh, mid-80s. I think it was a pretty big hit, because I remember hearing about it, and uh, people said like it was a, a independently published by Arrow Comics, I believe. Went mm-hmm. through a bunch of different publishers. IDW did the trade paperback that I have, and it just has that like real 80s look of mm-hmm. comics that I really like, and done by indie guys who like kind of like you know did a bunch of stuff here or there but this is from my to my knowledge one of their defining things and doesn't really get mentioned that much and we'll also talk about the walking dead will we reread it maybe i'll reread the first issue i really like terry moore's art on those uh 
Yeah, he's, he's great. Um, uh, and then, because then, who took over again? Charlie Adler. Charlie Ooh, Adler. I like, too. And, you know, I stuck with that. We'll talk about it in another episode. But I, I, I read a lot of that. I now read at least, said, like, the first three quarters of that. Uh, if you... If, Loyal listeners, can someone find what issue my letter is in? Oh, my God. Yeah, I said this before. In a pre- yeah, I, I forgot. I think it's between 10 and 20. I have a letter in it. Wow. So I was an original buyer of that comic. Huh. But Image at that time, and Mike didn't even know this, did a bunch of horror comics, sort of Dracula. There was a Frankenstein one when he was a mobster, and there was Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends, we invested into sort of Dracula. Okay. We should have invested in the first issue of The Walking Dead at the time. <laughs> yes. We did not, but I did follow it yeah. uh, at the time. I remember sending a letter. The letter will make it sound like I am a child, where mm. I'm like, me and my brother, we like to split our money, and we each share an issue of The Walking Dead. <laughs> I love those. <laughs> I remember Amazing. like writing the letter in my dad's basement in my underwear, but I must have been almost 17. Like, I wasn't that young, but like, <laughs> it reads like I am a, like, oh, can I have some? Uh, I can't do a Charles Dickens-style accent. Please, but, sir, yeah, want please. some more. At the Walking time, Robert Dead. Kirkman would publish every letter every he letter. received. Like, yeah. the letters page were like 20 pages long, it yeah, seemed. Yeah. Real uh, Dave sim like he still does that on his issues mm-hmm. uh i love the comic book that he's publishing uh firepower he and the artist do a like commentary at the end of every issue that's like three to four pages long it's just them talking about the issue and how it came to be oh okay and i will start buying the single issues because they it's not in the trade paperback but mm-hmm. it is in the singles that's a great great incentive that's a good that hook kind of stuff so uh, that'll be its own episode on zombie comics. And yep. what's uh, the Jamboree. third one in Spooktober? Uh, the third one will be The Last Halloween, which it was a webcomic that was published by Abby Howard. And this is a cartoonist that I came to learn about because she was in the Penny Arcade Strip Search TV show. Did you ever hear about this? I don't know what any of those words are. So, oh. it, what, you don't know what Penny Arcade is? Penny Arcade was the, oh my God, that webcomic. Yeah, yes, okay, yes, I forgot yes, about yes. that. So they had a very uncomfortable reality show that I followed week to week as it was happening where they would like get a bunch of cartoonists and force them to like do comics about a premise and then they would judge them and you could continue or not. And Abby Howard was like, top shelf she was one of like the best people on that show mm. so i followed what she did she had a webcomic called junior scientist power hour i oh, think it was, what it was very funny and uh the last halloween is a webcomic that she did that is just like a very kind of spooky you know kids on halloween as the monster apocalypse is happening her style is very um you know up my alley where it's very cartoony so you can have very cartoony characters but then it can go into hyper detailed violence where like on page three somebody's head explodes and like bugs like zoom out of them uh there's a hardcover which i remember when i bought it from her table at tcaf i was like ah no one will ever be able to get this i think it had a wider publication than i believe it did <laughs> that it's on amazon and stuff like that they're all online so you can read them online for free but uh the hardcover is really cool it's like oversized as uh, black line pages uh real fun glossy stuff but again you can probably i don't know if she took it off but uh, the last halloween was also featured online it's one hardcover it's volume one it's pretty self-contained i haven't read the second volume because i don't believe she ever completed it but like she just kind of switched to different characters in the mm. second volume so if you want to get like into something like emily carroll uh it's just very you know in one this art is gorgeous finally mike keeps forcing me to push this back to the end because he's like i want to read them all we're gonna be talking about something that was seminal as a teenager mike as a older adult the bongo comics 
uh, Treehouse of Horror comics. Mm -hmm. Now, these comics, they ruled because, number one, I don't think I was allowed to get them, but I did somehow get some of them, and they were published in really weird, oversized formats. And, like, they would collect three issues. I don't know if you ever saw these. Yeah. They had, like, embossed covers that, like, they were raised. Because these are essentially, like, only published at Halloween. One a year. One a year. This is in the, the ongoing Simpsons comic by Bongo Comics. And it's the only bongo comic that allowed the artist to break uh like the character models because mm -hmm. usually if you look at all the simpson comics they all they look like simpsons they had a house style yeah they had a house style that matt groining would choke as it went along <laughs> but like these comics and they're written by like uh paul dini did one garth ennis did multiple comics uh sergio aragones am i saying is that i think so correctly? yeah of did a bunch uh, uh, as well mm -hmm. um they're all like kind of genre parodies like the first issue has a, a little shop of horror but what if it was homer that was the plan <laughs> and it just captured my imagination because as a kid i was obsessed with horror stuff thank you rl stein's goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark and like this was my favorite cartoon show transplanted into comics and the tv shows were nebulous to me because i couldn't watch them whenever i wanted uh, I was actually, uh, I'll tell the story again in the next episode, but like, I was so excited for the Simpson Halloween special. Like they were hyping it up every day. And then in the beginning, Marge Simpson comes out and warns, uh, people that this is a little scary. Remember what? You can't watch it. You oh, turned it off. So and I went, no, that's amazing. Because my mom actually liked that Marge was seemingly like wholesome and like yeah. warning you. And I remember her saying something like, Oh, that's nice that she did that. Yeah. Or something well, like that. And then we did watch it. I mean, <laughs> not me. I was, yeah. I think it was, that's like the Soul Donut episode. Because I remember the ads were like building up to that. I'm like, I can't wait. Yeah. And my mom's like, nope. Terrible. She uh, never liked no. The Simpsons because there was that panic. I mean, lots of people. It's like, this young child says, eat my shorts. How dare How anyone dare be so disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't get to watch it, but of course that festers and I was like, I need to see it. And the comic book version that I could consume. I really love the Simpson comics as well, even though I didn't get to read that many. For some reason, I got that and I vividly remember the cover of it, which is like Bart being strangled by a plant and it's like a painted cover. Oh, wow. I should look up what that like collection had. Yeah. They have been uh, republished recently, if you want to read them, in Big, gigantic hardcovers. Like a single, was a single omnibus? There's two. Okay. So one happened last year. All right. There's a new one this year that's coming out. And it got an Eisner nomination or award. Uh, uh, Didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it got nominated for Best Collection. Okay. What's weird about it is they are not collected chronologically. They're hmm. collected by theme. I don't know why. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. Do them by issue because I want the sense of what like each issue was. Yeah. And as Taste Evolved, we were trying to do different stuff. Uh, I'm glad they exist because there was a um, fear that when Disney bought Fox that the Simpsons comics would go away forever. And they did. Bongo closed up shop. Wow. Which was owned completely by Matt Groening. Oh, my God. He no. owned the licenses of those and he uh, ran that company was Bill Morrison. Okay. And... It, they come back. I think Tashin may have republished this one or like okay. some art um, collection. And it's supposedly the rumor goes that the comics have uh, Bongo went away due to a divorce that Matt Groening had that he wants to create a new company with a different name that handles this oh, stuff. Okay. So he does not have to pay any residuals uh, as part of the divorce uh, oh, contract. Man. Okay. <laughs> but they're available now. Looks yeah. great. 
you can easily pick them up at your local bookstore, local comic book store. I'm sure they probably have one. I only read one or two of these as singles back mm-hmm. in the day because they were only published like one issue yep. every Halloween. And the fact that like it's literally 23 years worth, something that they maintained. And you said you're going to read all 23 issues. I'm going to read all 23 issues uh, this uh, October. So that's what we'll be doing uh, last of the month. So just as a summation, I'm sure Mike can put this in the description as well. I shall. Uh, we have Emily Carroll's book, Through the Woods. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Aerosel's The Walking Dead. From 1989. As well as The Walking Dead and Dead World from... Two th- 1986. No, 1986. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think there was like eight or nine issues. Mm-hmm. And then we will be doing uh, Abby Howard's Last Halloween, available online if you want mm-hmm. to read it through that way. And finally, Bongo Comics, all of Treehouse of... That's going to be a huge episode. I guess we'll pick oh, our I'm looking forward to it. That's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. Do we do a full ranking of best to worst? Well, maybe not ranking, but we should, like with the evolutionary, run through each one for a couple minutes. Okay. Yeah. Right. But that's that'll be a hundred short stories, though. Oh, wait, because there's several in each. Yeah, there's several in okay, each. Okay, maybe we an anthology comic. We'll talk about it before then. Did you ever read Tales from the Crypt and stuff like that? In like comic form? Yeah. No, I love the show. Really? Never read the comics. Because oh, yeah. they do those republications, those like cheap kind of like paperbacks. Mm-hmm. Love them. I would always look for them at like, uh, I would always see them in vintage shops. Hmm. But yeah, that's a comic as well. I'm surprised. I don't own any of those in hardcover. Maybe because they were so, uh, you know, present as a kid that I was like, do I really need, I know them almost by heart. But we'll talk a lot more about that in the final episode of Shocktober. Not of Spooktober? Comic- Shocktober? Spooktober. Yeah. Uh, what's a comic book related term that, uh, you know what? Let's do a classic. Classic uh, letters mail uh, thing. Let us know what the month should be called. Yep. And we will pick our favorite. So until uh, next week, my name is Justin McClue. I'm Mike Wood. Thanks for listening. Keep reading comics. Spooky comics. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. Dylan, 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 Dylan. Dylan, 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 Dylan.